Good morning. My name is Gio Garces. It's great to, to see you. It's summertime. I'm in and, people are in and out of, with vacation. Uh, the Garces family takes theirs in August. We're going away into the mountains. Nice. Deep into the mountains. I'm going to look for Sasquatch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go, uh, go fishing up there. We have a little place we go to in uh, southern, Northern California. It's a smaller city called Arnold, California. But it's a cute city. And we love going up there, we love the fishing, we love the swimming, and we're going to have a good time. You know, we're doing a, a series called The Source. If you've been with us for several weeks, I hope you're enjoying the series about what is the source of life and all the good things that we could tap into from our relationship with God and what that means. And we've heard a lot of great speakers come up here and talk about the source. And my, my next section is in John 15. You probably read it many times, but I read it this time again this week. And I had a whole new look at the scripture as far as the understanding of it, as I, as I really dug into it. Turn your Bibles with me to John 15. I'm going to explain uh, part of uh, the discovery. If you look on the board, many of you guys probably drink wine. I'm sure you have a glass, maybe with your uh, Italian pasta or a Chardonnay once in a while. And uh, I did some looking into what, what it, what, how does it, the wine produce, because this is the analogy that Jesus uses to describe his relationship between his disciples and himself. He uses a farming analogy. For, for people in the Palestine area at that time, they, uh, they got this right away. But for us city folk, we may not get this right away. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this analogy that he uses. And winemaking goes back to the earliest days of the Bible. Noah was actually a winemaker. All right? That didn't go too well, but he made a lot of wine. A lot of wine. He drank too much wine. That didn't go so good. Uh, and it was a production mainstay in Palestine. So when Jesus says, hey, uh, when he talks about the vineyard or the vine, everyone understood what that meant. And if you leave a, a, a vineyard untrimmed, these branches will keep growing. And they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll grow. And what will happen if, because they grow so much, the branches grow so fast, is that it won't produce a rich cluster of grapes. It's kind of like my avocado tree. I got a lot of avocados, but there's four dead ones on there. Just dead. They're, they're like black little avocados. They've died in the process. I mean, there wasn't enough water or enough sun, but it, the tree's growing and it couldn't get the nutrients to every single avocado and it died. Same with the vineyard. As this branch grows, the nutrients can't extend and can't keep up with the branches that grows. So this is kind of the, what happens. So what, what, what wine cultivators have realized, when you prune this, when you cut this, yes, you're giving up more branches, but yet at the same time, you're producing rich clusters of grapes that produce wine that's tasty. Okay, if you let it grow too long, you get the two buck chuck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you go, that's the two dollar wine out there. You got that at over at Costco or over at uh, at uh, Fresh and Easy or Trader Joe's. You can always find it there. Two buck chuck. So they learned that the grapevine could be tamed by vigilant pruning. So farmers had to be active. It wasn't just a one-time thing because the branch wants to grow and extend. It's always trying to extend, but at the same time. It doesn't produce a rich grape cluster. So when the trimming was done, the sap that's in the vine gets into the fruit. The sap goes in and it's rich. It doesn't spend all its energy trying to expand. It gives the grapes richer fullerness to uh, its growth pattern. 
So in midwinter, they would, they, would, they, would, they would trim it again. But what's interesting, they'd actually keep the vine stump. They wouldn't get rid of the whole vine. You know, if the season's over, sometimes you pull out your plant and you plant a new one. Not so with vineyards. In fact, um, they actually keep them. This is a vineyard. that This is all uh, vineyards for wine making, but those are all stumps. And they keep the stumps because in, in the growing season, they'll bud again. And the older the stump, the better the wine. The oldest winery in California, the best wine to get, as they say in California, was planted in 1865, Zinfandel. When you go up there, they boast, the stump is 100 years old. Meaning, if you're a wine connoisseur, you're supposed to go, oh yes, the older the stump, the better the wine. Thank you, sir. But me, I just go, what, what does that mean? So they're trying to promote the longevity of the stump, meaning right. the process has been done over and over, and the pruning has been consistent, has been ongoing. And so this is the analogy that Jesus uses. It's kind of cut off here, but the, here's a little little board to give you an understanding of this of this story uh, that Jesus teaching is going to give us this analogy that Jesus is the, the uh, in the vineyard. This is the vine, and the vine brings saps to the root, as I just explained, and that represents Jesus. And the function of that is that he brings and sustains life to the disciples. Okay. The branches in the, in, the, in the vineyard, they bear fruit. And that represents us, the disciples of Jesus, and also them. And this also, the function of the community is to carry out the ministry of Jesus by demonstrating His love. The, uh, the gardener, he prunes the unwanted branches and hauls them away to be burned. That is God the Father. And his function in the community is that he judges and cleanses the community. So that's kind of a, the analogy that Jesus uses to explain his relationship with you. If you're a disciple, if you're a Christian, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to explain, hey, it, it, this, this next uh, illustration is to show our relationship. So let's take a look at, at the teaching of Jesus. In John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the vine, the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You know, prior to this statement, if you just look back a few chapters in your Bible, I'm going to explain it so you don't have to turn there. In John 13, He washes His disciples' feet. He even washes the, the, feet, the feet of Judas. Now this is a, and in this Gospel of John, this is telling the account of his last few months before he goes to the cross and dies. And so, he, he washes their feet, and he gives them a new command. He says, hey, I want you to love one another. It's a brand new, out of the 600 and some Old Testament commandments, he goes, I'm going to give you a new one. Love each other. Okay? And so, he shows us by knowing that Judas is going to betray him, he washes Judas' feet anyways. And then in John 14, he's saying, I'm going to go away. The disciples are scared. They're worried that, you know, to be without Jesus, how can we accomplish anything? And Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He'll come. The counselor will come. The spirit of truth will guide them. And he goes on to say that they'll even do greater things with the Holy Spirit than they were with Jesus himself. And they're like, that's impossible. And so Jesus reminds them 
of their relationship with Him. And so he goes into John 15 and he talks about, hey, don't worry, you're always going to be with me. Even though the Holy Spirit's going to come, you're always going to have this special relationship with me. Even though I'm going away and you're not going to see me physically, we're going to have a very, very special relationship. Because He is the vine that brings the sap to our branches. And we are the branches, but if if you've been a Christian long enough, sometimes your branches can grow into tentacles. And so the gardener has to prune those, and he has to remove them from the garden area, and he has to take care of them, take out the trash, so to speak. So this is the the illustration that he wants you to understand. Like Our relationship with Jesus is like a vineyard. And the more you understand that vineyard, the more you go, ah, I appreciate what he's saying. So let's look in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He's saying, hey guys, take a minute to think about this vineyard. And when you think about this vineyard, take a minute to think about my relationship with you is like this vineyard. If you remain in me. Why does Jesus say, I am the true vine? And why does He use the vine analogy? Why, why that vine? Because in the, even in the Old Testament, God used the vine analogy. And when He used it to talk about the nation of Israel, it was not in good light. It's like, my vineyard is spoiling. My vineyard is not doing well. So, God has this unfavorable analogy in the Old Testament, but Jesus is saying, hey, look, if we just remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. And Jesus is, is pushing His disciples to see that your salvation does not lie with just being a Jew. It's more than that. See, the Jews took pride. I'm a Jew. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm God's... I'm His people. He's saying no. He's pushing them past that, saying like, your relationship with God is based through your relationship with me. You know, how does that relate to us? It's not just going to church that makes you a Christian. It's not the time card you clock in and sit down and this is your relationship with God. It's more than that. It's more than church activity. It's more than lunches after church. It's more than volleyball or soccer after church. It's more than that. It's a re- He's saying, this is more a deeper relationship that you and I will have. If you remain in me. And Judas, he was kind of the first guy to get kind of, you know, pruned, so to speak. You know what I mean? He had this unhealthy relationship with money. And eventually, it led him to betray Jesus. And so, he was pruned, right? He gave up his own salvation. And he was a pruning process there. But also, it says here, he even prunes the ones that bear fruit. Can you imagine that? I mean, we, we get the branches that grow long. You want to cut those off. They're not, they're not producing. But then he, he prunes the ones that are doing really well. So it'll be even more fruitful. 
The second pruning is for the good branches. And when I read that, I'm going like, why does He do that? Because He wants a rich relationship with you. He wants a very rich, meaningful relationship with His disciples. So how does God prune us? Well, if you're married, you know you get a lot of pruning there. (laughs) Sometimes your bumps and your fights and your mistakes in your marriage... It hopefully, in the good branch, it prunes you to make, it make you a better husband or a better wife or a humble husband, a humble wife, a leader. Your marriage kind of prunes us. Circumstances prune us, do they not? Yeah. You know? If you, if you make a bad decision and you learn from it, that's a pruning process as well. Um, it could turn out to be something good. You know, a crisis in your marriage can turn out to be something good. Uh, the Word of God can prune us. When we read the Bible and Jesus' words, it cuts our hearts. We make a change. It prunes us. Other people can mention things to us. It's a pruning process. And Jesus is saying, if you allow yourself to be pruned, if you allow the branches to be cut, your cluster of grapes, your relationship with me, is going to be rich. It's going to be incredibly rich. But if you let the branches go, and you don't want to be pruned, you'll produce grapes, but they'll be very meager. And eventually, the Father will prune you. He cuts off the branches eventually. The ones that that drift too far and go too far, He has to cut them for the sake of the fruit. God does that. God intervenes, even when we don't like it. We always like God to intervene when it's for our good, right? Like, stop the fire on Ida Wild, so he stops the fire. Clear the clouds on Night Starlight Devo, he clears the crowds. But when it comes to us, like, hey, wait, wait, don't get so close, God. Take it easy, take it easy. Calm down there. We want him to prune everybody else's vineyard, but we resist the pruning of our own vineyard. You ever find yourself there? He says, that's the mistake we make. Jesus says, no, let that happen. That's what makes it rich. That's what makes you grow. That's, when you, that's what happens when you, you, you do that. There's this process that you call, call giving God glory. When you learn and are pruned by God, you show yourself to be His disciple. We, if we respond to pruning, we bear fruit. And we show ourselves to be disciples. Imagine if you never got, your, your wife or husband never got, never got corrected in your marriage. Just, just imagine what your marriage would be like. It would be like a branch just going... So thick, so long. You'd beg someone to come in and just cut some, cut, some, cut some branches off. You want that. God wants it more than you. And so God gets involved. And He makes this, this statement in, in verse 4. If you remain in Me, I'll remain in you. You cannot bear fruit by yourself. It must remain in the vine. You know, I love the vineyard analogy because the stump never gets old. I mean, you can have it there for as long as you like, and it will produce fruit. You know, some of the mistakes we make as a Christian, the older we get, the useless we feel. I'm old, these young campus guys are coming to church, they're letting know. God values the, the longevity of a Christian. Yeah. He values the longevity of the relationship. He really does. He loves that you're a Christian 10 15, 20, 30 years. He loves it. Because He's always going to work on you. He's always going to be pruning you just to produce richer and better fruit year by year. That's why I say the older the wine, the more expensive, the better tasting. Same with being an older Christian. 
God believes in you. God loves you. God is just, He's constantly pruning you. He's pruning, and that's that's the process. He's explaining between Jesus and Him. It's a noble life, and it's a good life to be a Christian. And so Jesus uses another analogy to explain His relationships with disciples and Himself. And look in verse nine with me. Look there in verse nine with me. Before we do that. I'm going to describe a few of the, the, branch, the branches that grow. Maybe, what does that look like practically in your relationship with, with God? How, how, does, how do we know the branches are getting too long and the grapes are getting less and less nutrients? You ever seen Nacho Libre? There's a, there's a scene there that my son always tells me. He, he wants to be a great wrestler. And he, his, his friend, his Skeletor, says, you know, you have to go get the eagle eggs. I know a guy, and he's a gypsy, and you go up and climb the... So he climbs this mountain, and he, he eats the eagle eggs. He cracks them on his face, and he dives into the water, and he thinks that gives him power. And it, and it, and it does, and it doesn't. And then when he loses the next fight, he complains, why do I listen to you? Those eggs are no good. They give me no nutrients, right? And nutrients are the source of the vine. It's the nutrients is the Lord. And if we separate ourselves from Him and we let our branches grow too long, here's what it looks like. Here are ten things that you know your branches are, 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 are getting too long. You're, you're a Christian, but you don't come to church. That's when the branches get longer. You're a Christian, but when you do come, you make sure it's late. You come late to church. Branch is getting longer. You're a Christian and you only show up when the weather is good. Branches are getting longer. Longer branches. And we live in the best climate in the history of the, of the world, don't we not? You're a Christian, but you find fault with everything and everyone. Oh, longer branches. You're a Christian, but you never accept a leadership role or responsibility. Well, those are really long branches. They're growing. You're a Christian, but you get mad if you're not appointed to a leadership position. Ah, no more longer branches. You're a Christian, but you never give your opinion in the meeting. You always wait till after the meeting. Ah, more longer branches. You're a Christian, but do nothing more than absolutely necessary. Longer branches. You're a Christian, but you hold back on, on your giving to the Lord. Oh, there's some long branches there. And you're a Christian, but you never reach out to anyone. Long branches. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you remain in me, this will all change. Those are symptoms to your branches getting longer and your unwillingness to be pruned. Because God's trying to prune. God's always constantly working on us and His relationship with us. But do you want to be pruned? Do you want to have rich fuller cluster of grapes in your life. Verse 9. He gives this analogy to explain his relationship with disciples. He uses his, his relationship with God the Father. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He, he models what it should look like and He points to His relationship with the Father. 
It's been an obedient demonstration. God has asked me to come down to the earth to show you the way I did it. I went to the cross. I emotionally wasn't there, but I did it. I obeyed the Father. And He uses that analogy to say, Hey, look, remain in Me. Obey Me. Because I've been obedient to My Father. He doesn't say, just do as I do. Or do as I say. He said, do as I do. Imitate Me. Follow My example. Don't we love that when someone does it before us going, He did it. He didn't say it, but He did it. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I did it. I'm doing it now. And in turn, we obey Jesus. Just as He obeyed the Father. Why? Why would you do that? So that His joy for us may be complete, and your joy may be complete. In other words, you're much of a happier person when you're in a close relationship with Jesus. Think about all the times where you're doing your best spiritually. It's because you are reading the Bible, you are praying, you are in an obedient relationship with Jesus. You are doing good! It's when we stop doing that. We, we let ourselves go spiritually. It's when we're the most unhappiest. We start looking for sin to please us. We look everywhere else but God. That's when you know you're not doing well spiritually. And then in verse 12 he says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay his life down for his friends. I was a disciple a number of years ago in the Turning Point ministry. He went on a family vacation. Uh, it was in Hawaii. And his son got caught in the current. He jumps in to rescue his son. He catches his son and he's able, he's able with, the, with the current to push his son off, off out of the water into the land. But the current takes him and takes him into those Hawaiian whirlpools. And he dies. And I tell you that story because it makes me cry. I'm trying to think about it. I'm going, that's the love that one has for another. That's the love that Jesus has for us. That He's willing to lay it all down for us. This is the relationship. The nature of the loving one another is more than just words. It's more than just a scripture. It's so profound. It was a new command. It was a new teaching. He explains that I'm going to lay my life down to death for you. How? How can you do that? How can you lay your life down? Well, when someone's in trouble, you come. When someone is hurting, maybe they lost a family member, you're there. When someone is drifting from God, you're there. When someone wants to know about God, you're there. When your child wonders about God, you're there. You lay your life down. Better said, lay your schedule down. The greatest challenge for family ministries is just laying your schedule down. It's not as important as loving the disciples. But sometimes we make our activities and our schedules so full that we can't even reach those who are in trouble. 
Because activities trump love. And Jesus is saying, lay it down. Lay down your schedule. Make room. Make openings. Not, not I can pencil you in in three months. Lay it down. Love each other. That's what he's teaching. A new command. Love each other. Let nothing hinder us from each other. Love each other as I have loved you. And in verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his father's master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You know, in the Roman world, servants and master relationships, you were the personal property of the master without pay and without reward. And Jesus is saying, in a stroke of, 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 just of his mouth, he changes that relationship. It's no longer master-servant. It's friends. He elevates your status from a servant to a friend, a companion of God. That is remarkable. That doesn't happen. The ancient gods, they're always trying to please them. There was never this relationship. He says, listen, if you obey what I teach you, you're my friends. You're my companions. You know what I'm about. We have a real relationship. You know one thing you don't do to your boss all, all the time? You don't whine and complain to your boss every day, right? That's right. Like, the guy gets you fired one day, right? <laughs> like, I can't handle this guy. He's, he's gone. Next review, he's toast. In this relationship, whining and complaining is excellent with God. That's the friendship. Who do we whine to the most? Our friends. Who do we complain to the most? Our friends. Not the person we're mad to. Oh, no, we can't tell them. But I'll tell you guys. That's our nature. He's saying, God and we are friends. No, 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 gee, I'm a servant. I'm too humble to say that. Stop it, knock it off. He said, he says right here, you're his friends. You're his friends. You're his companion. As Paul writes later on, the status of the Christians, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female, we're all one in Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, the heirs to the promise. We're all friends. So that's why we love each other. We care about each other. We care about each other's kids. Our families. It's deep. That's what makes us so different. He says in verse 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. That was the theme, that was the theme of our youth camp. God chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. You've been chosen to bear fruit. Fruit bearing. What it looks like is that you're obeying Jesus. It also looks like how you're loving each other. Let me give you some practicals that I want you to work on this week. I want you to apply to your life. Number one, 
Spend time with each other. Lay down the schedule. Make it work. Make it work. Especially the family ministries. Number two, open the words of encouragement, God's Word. Open the words of encouragement that calls you sons and daughters. Open it. It's good. Number three, trust each other. What do friends do? Friends trust. Friendship is all based on trust. It's not based on meetings and programs. It's based at the end of the day, do I trust you? Do we trust God? Do we trust Jesus? Then love each other. That's what trust is. That's what real friends do. Number four, be friends. Because you are, at the end of the day, you're friends of Jesus. We can be friends. Be a friend. Go to the birthday parties, right? Show up. Be a friend. You know, when I come to church every Sunday, I'm coming to see my friends. That's what I tell my kids every Sunday morning. Hey, come on, let's get ready. Let's go see our friends. I don't even say church. Because it's not church. It's my friends who happen to be at church. I hope that's the mentality that you embrace. Whenever I come, I'm coming to see some of my friends. And that is an awesome thing. Because this is all I have. I don't have a lot of best friends who aren't Christians. I have friends who aren't Christians. I'm reaching out to them. But my my greater friends are the disciples. So know this. God wants a relationship with you. And how we keep that rich is that we remain in Jesus. We obey His teachings. Pretty simple. And our clusters of grapes are rich and full. Our life has meaning. And also, secondly, we allow God to prune us. And thirdly, we just love each other. Because we're God's friends. Thanks so much. Take care.